Well, we're going to continue to this morning in our Foundations series. If you've been following along with us, we're going through our statement of faith and talking through all of the uh, belief statements that we have as a denomination. Again, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and uh, that means that we believe uh, very specific things, and we have this official document called the Statement of Faith. And as a church of the Christian Missionary Alliance, we adhere to that statement of faith, um, the exact same statement of faith that every Christian and Missionary Alliance adheres to. Uh, so we've walked through a couple of different statements, but this, this morning I'm going to start. Uh, how many, if, have any of you ever read Francis Chan's Forgotten God? All right, so that's good homework. It's a great book. Uh, it's been around for a long time, but it's a phenomenal book about the forgotten part of the Trinity. And that's a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this morning. In his book, Forgotten God, he, he, he talks about, uh, we, we're very clear on God the Father and God the Son, but the majority of Christians have very, very shaky I- ideology or theology on who the Holy Spirit is, or as some would even put it, what the Holy Spirit is. Uh, because we, we tend not to even view the Holy Spirit as a person, but more as an it. Uh, we don't really understand what the Holy Spirit's role is, and so we kind of steer clear of it. Uh, some of us grew up in churches that were extremely conservative and would, if they had to err on one side, would err on the side of denying the Holy Spirit and saying, I don't know, I don't, I, we just don't want to be charismatic. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't want to be one of them Pentecostals. So uh, we kind of erred on that side, and then for some of us, we were on the other side, and we, were, we saw... Uh, crazy, miraculous things happening. We saw acts of the Spirit we weren't quite sure on, but it was lively, uh, and we don't know where we fit maybe in that now. Uh, My wife, if you don't know, Jackie grew up in a Pentecostal church, uh, and I came to know Christ in an independent Baptist. So we represent both ends of that spectrum, uh, and uh, I I went to, I think think I've only been to the church she grew up in once. It was enough. Uh, That was good for me. Uh, they, they were an interesting bunch, but it was not your typical Sunday. I mean, if you didn't sweat, you didn't go to church at her, you know, and, and that church. So uh, it was a little different. And if you were awake, you didn't go to my church uh, because I don't know how anybody made it through that service awake. Uh, so I know I did not make it through the service awake most of the time. Uh, so where do we fit into that? We're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a heads up at the beginning. I, kinda, I answer the question for you, then we'll talk about it. Because before, uh, in, in years past, I don't know when they made this switch. It has to have been at least 10, 15 years ago. But the statement regarding the Holy Spirit used to be, uh, seek not, forbid not. Am, am I saying that correctly? Or ask not, forbid not. I forget exactly how it went. But it was something like that. And then they realized, that's not biblical. Uh, we should probably stop saying that. And so the kind of the tagline for the work of the Holy Spirit for us as part of the Christian Missionary Alliance is expectation without agenda. Saying we're going to expect the Holy Spirit to show up. We're going to expect Him to do things beyond our comfort zone, and we're not going to set the agenda. We're not going to say what He can or cannot do. And I love that statement. I think that's fantastic because that's what, how we should live. We should live in expectation, not just in like the possibility because possibility and expectation are very different things. And I, 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 uh, I think when I was in Morgantown, I, I preached a sermon. I was just, it was that week God just really hit me with like how few Christians 
live expectation out. Like, we know that God can do things. We, we understand the possibility, but we don't live with expectation. We don't wake up in the morning, like, excited that the Holy Spirit's going to use us to do something. We don't expect God to show up and show off. And so, uh, <clears throat> I just want to start with that and let you know about that. Again, I highly, highly recommend um, especially considering we live in western Pennsylvania. We tend to be a bit more, uh, I don't know if you'd call it conservative, but uh, I would call it a little bit more afraid of the Holy Spirit uh, because we just we think he's going to mess our stuff up and we'd rather have control, so we'd rather be in control, so we kind of kick the Holy Spirit to the curb sometimes, uh, and that's kind of a western Pennsylvania thing. If you don't know that, it's kind of unique to our area. Many churches are very much like that, and so because we're scared of what that might look like, because we're scared of the control that we might not have, we steer clear of it. Um, so Forgotten God, excellent book. If you don't know, Francis Chan is actually part of our denomination. Uh, he is a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor. Uh, so I think it's kind of cool, uh, but it's a great book. Uh, I would highly recommend it. For most of us, let's be honest, we'd rather focus on our Christian to-do list than depend on the Holy Spirit. Living in relationship with the Holy Spirit, living in Holy Spirit dependency is a lot more difficult than just having a list of do's and don'ts. Just having a checklist every day of, I read my Bible, I went to church, I prayed for a couple seconds on the way to work, I didn't curse and swear at anybody today, I'm good. And a lot of us, we want to live that Christian life because it's so simple, it's so black and white, it's so easy. The reality is our relationship with the Holy Spirit should be just as vibrant as our relationship with Jesus because, spoiler alert, they're the same person. They're both God. We can't have a relationship with Jesus without having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. He is God. Some of us have grown too comfortable, and we want to settle for a long-distance relationship with God. I don't know if like, when you, any of you were dating, you ever had a long-distance relationship. I did. Uh, and it was kind of frustrating, but also kind of nice because you kind of get to do your own thing, but you still have a relationship with somebody, but you still are like completely independent. You still completely get to do your own thing, uh, and you, but you still have that connection to that person. And many of us, we still want to have our own life and our own things and our own way of doing things, but we claim to be in a relationship that really it's only periodic communication. I mean, if, if you were in a long-distance relationship for like four years with somebody and like that has been the totality of your you met online and you've only ever talked on the phone and that, you know, that's your, the entirety of your relationship, people are probably going to think like that's not a real relationship yet. You've not really begun to like intertwine your lives together. See, a relationship requires a clashing of worlds. That's, if you don't, if you've never been married, uh, then you might not be quite as aware of this. If you are married, it probably took you about four minutes to realize, oh, wow, this is different. Now our lives, our worlds, our everything is colliding together, and now we've got to figure this out. Uh, my wife and I got married. We were a little bit late, uh, older, so we got ma- married, I guess, what some people would consider a little later in life. Uh, we were 28 and uh, when we met, I think. Uh, and, and so we had our own ways of doing things. We had both lived independently. We had both moved down south. I don't know why. Uh, by on our own and then moved back because it stinks down there and it's really hot. Uh, 
And that's, that's why I came back. I don't know. She had her own reasons. But so we, we both learned how to live very independently, kind of did our own things. And then we get married and we realize this, this can get a little messy because I have a way to load a dishwasher and so does she. Uh, and so she needs to learn the right way, which is my way, to load a dishwasher. No, I'm just kidding. I gave up on that a long time ago because her way is way better. Uh, so you just, but you start to learn like, wow, okay, this, this, is, this is a melding of two completely uh, sometimes different lives, and we're going to figure out how this goes together. See, now that I'm married to Jackie, our lives have become so intertwined it's impossible to tell them apart. So you might see me up here preaching a sermon, and you think, well, that's Pastor Bruce. That is, yes, but I can't do this without her, without her help, without her support, without the way that she supports me, that we're watching the kids, and you know, all the things that we do together uh, makes my life possible. Uh, and so there's no separate, you can't separate the two and say, well, they, you know, we live completely separate lives. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is of huge significance. And that's why, again, I appreciate that book, Forgotten God, so much because it really shines a light on how we've kind of forgotten about the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it very clear when he was here on earth with his disciples, like, yeah, hey, this is great, me being here in, in like physical form, doing miracles, teaching, guiding, discipling. This is great, but it's not even the best. Like, this, this was necessary, but he makes it clear that it was actually better for him to not stick around. Like, realistically, Jesus could have just walked the earth forever. Uh, when he was resurrected, he had what we, we would consider uh, the perfect body, which wouldn't have aged. So Jesus could still be hanging out right now on earth in physical form if he wanted to. But he, he made it clear that him leaving was of our benefit. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles to John sixteen seven. We'll be using the ESV again today and through the rest of this series. I know we usually use the New Living, but we're going to be using the ESV for this. So if you want to follow along on your own or you can follow along on the screen, John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Many of us live a life that says we would rather have Jesus here. We'd rather have him in physical form. We'd rather have him telling us what to do, telling us what not to do, and you know, wrestling with us, kind of like he did with the disciples. I mean, it was, I don't think, I don't know if Jesus ever went a day without having to like smack himself in the face with his palm because of the disciples while he walked with them because it seemed like they just never got it and they were always missing the point of things. But some of us, we, we would rather have that physical form of Jesus than to have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit uh, because it's just different, and we might think it's weird to think about the Holy Spirit because we're uncomfortable with what that might look like. We tend to deny the power of the Spirit and His engagement in our life. So let's dive into what our statement of faith says about the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a copy, you can always grab a copy of our statement of faith from the back, uh, the welcome desk back in the foyer, or you can always look it up on the website uh, or uh, on our app. There's different ways you can look that up if you need a digital copy of it, but you can always follow along with that, and I encourage you to be doing that every week. Just read through it again, highlight areas that you're not clear on, any theological concepts that you feel like are beyond you or you just don't know a lot about. Um, highlight them, circle them, um, so that you can walk away from this. this the reason this, this series is called Foundations 
is that we would all walk away with a firm foundation on what we believe. Uh, We shouldn't, as Christians, be living a life where we really have no idea what we believe. We just believe that we believe something. So, the part we're going to pick up on in our statement of faith starts with the Holy Spirit is a divine person. And that comes from John 14, 15 to 18. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Notice the personal pronouns here, uh, and they're indicating that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I know the New Testament was not obviously written in English. It was written in Greek. Um, But if you, um, I don't know Greek. I'm not going to claim that I do. I know uh, some people think all pastors just, you know, inherently are born with Greek, uh, and we're not. So, uh, but if you do study uh, the Greek language, you'll learn this was written with, just similar to English, we have personal pronouns, uh, and this is written in that way. It's referring to the Holy Spirit as a person. Uh, And it's not the only time that personal pronouns are used in reference to the Holy Spirit. Just a couple other instances, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. He is a he. He is a person. He has a personality. And however you would define person, you can use all of that to, in reference to the Holy Spirit. He has a will. He has thoughts. He has emotions. He has the ability to speak and talk. He is a person in every way that you would define a person. And as a personal member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is sent for important works. He's got a role. He's not just the part of the Trinity that's like weird and we don't know anything about him. Uh, The next part of our statement of faith, it says, he's sent to indwell, guide, teach, empower the believer. So I want to break these down. So we talk about the different roles of the Holy Spirit. First, it says that he's sent to indwell. This comes from Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And John fourteen seventeen says, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We just read that passage. And so I want to make it clear what we're talking about here. Uh, indwelling is different from filling. And you'll hear people use reference to those within the Christian circles of, you know, are you filled with the Spirit? And indwelling and filling are two different things. Indwelling is the mark of salvation. If you come to know Christ as your Savior, if you accept God as Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Just like these verses were saying, He seals you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning you are a believer. uh, And you now have the Holy Spirit in you. However, filling 
is a situational surrender and a part of the sanctification process. Uh, you, and just a way to understand it is uh, I am filled with love for my wife. But when she does something that really blesses me, I feel that even stronger. It's, it's, a, it's in greater proportion than everything else in that moment. And the, the, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we all know this. If you've walked with Jesus long enough, you know there are times when you feel closer to God and when you feel more distant from Him, when you feel His presence in your life in a more powerful way and when you don't feel Him nearly as much. And many times that, I would say probably all the time, it has to do with a surrender. We, the great thing about God is He doesn't continually force Himself on us. It's not like, oh, well, uh, you're a Christian now, you're mine, I can do whatever I want with you. He still allows us to walk with him, and he's just so patient with us. But there are moments when we will surrender to him in a greater capacity, therefore we can be filled, because we are less filled with ourself that we can be more filled with the Spirit. He gets basically greater control of us and can use us in different ways when we are filled with the Spirit. And we are believers, if you read the New Testament, believers, not unbelievers, are encouraged to be filled. So this gives you the impression, the idea, obviously, that there can be times as a believer when you are less filled and times when you can be more filled, or else there'd be no point to making this commandment in Ephesians 5.18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. If you were constantly at maximum capacity, this makes absolutely no sense. And so, as believers, we have to understand we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we are also encouraged to be filled. And there will be times in your life when you uh, your relationship with God is good, and you are removing the things out of your life that get between you and Jesus, and you surrender to Him, and you can feel the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is, if, you, if you're wondering, like, I wonder if I've ever been filled, you probably haven't been. If you can't tell, if, you've ne- if you can't guess that, probably not, because you've not been uh, obeying the commandments of Scripture, which is to be filled uh, and to seek that. And it's an interesting I don't know a simpler word for juxtaposition, but uh, you have in this verse, it says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think there's something true about both of those is you're not in control. If you're drunk with wine, guess what happens? You're not in control. You do silly things. And if you're filled with the Spirit, you're not completely in control. The Spirit is. And obviously, when you're drunk with wine, wine is what's in control. And when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is what's in control. Obviously, that being the the more positive of the two, uh, to be filled with the Spirit. There will be times where God does things through you which you know are not you because they're contrary to your personality. Uh, There are times where He'll use you in, in ways that you know you're not gifted, and He gets all the glory because He is God. And he empowers us to do these things. So we're indwelt. It also says guide. Uh, he's, he's been sent to guide. John sixteen thirteen it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So often, many of us, we seek guidance from God. Uh, it's probably one of the conversations I have a lot as a pastor is, uh, I, just, I, I need the Lord's guidance on this. I, I don't know if you can, you can help me know what the Lord's guidance is on this. And it's like, yeah, man, you know what? I'll talk with you, 
But that's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's why he was sent. That's his entire purpose, and I'm not going to try to fill that void for you. I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit's voice for somebody. But instead, I'll encourage that person to be in prayer, to seek God, to whatever, whatever it is. Again, we, I come back to the sacred pathways a lot. However it is you connect with God, spend time in that. If it's sitting in a clo- you know, closet in a dark room, that's where you can pray, that's where you can connect with God, awesome. If it's like me and you want to go sit on a kayak and that's where you're going to hear from God, awesome, do that. If it's listening to worship music, do that. But get in a place where you can hear him. And seek his guidance. That's what he was sent for. That's why Jesus said it was better that he left. Because Jesus, in a physical form, could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be in every believer across the entire world at all times. The Holy Spirit is the member of the triune God who gives us guidance. He will guide us in different ways. He's also sent to teach, this says. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I read once uh, something to this effect, like stop trying to hear God's voice. He already spoke through the Bible. Just read that and follow what it says. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting and also kind of ridiculous because The Bible that we're supposed to be reading tells us to listen to his voice. So uh, you're either going to listen to what it says or you're just going to read it. So if we're going to read the Bible and we're going to obey what it says, then we should listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Bible refers to him often as the good shepherd. I don't know if you've ever seen that one of those videos where uh, I saw one where these, it must have been like a field trip or something, and these kids were like yelling at this group of sheep, and they couldn't get the, the sheep's attention in any way. And then the shepherd comes up and starts making a noise and every one of the sheep's heads pops up. Why? Because they know his voice. And we should know his voice. It's like that, that what I would consider kind of ridiculous uh, theological encouragement to not listen for the voice of God and just read your Bible. It's like someone telling you to listen uh, or telling you not to listen to your teacher at school, but instead just read the books and you'll be fine. Ignore everything the teacher is saying. Just read the books and you'll, you'll be okay. Well, it's kind of ridiculous. You have the teacher there to help you, to guide you, to teach you, to instruct you, to help you understand, to expound on things. Any of you ever try to read a textbook and without any kind of teaching? It doesn't go so well. It's a little difficult. Sometimes you need someone to expound and give you that. Uh, in college, one of my favorite courses, because I didn't even know this, like, it opened up this whole world to me because I, I walked into college, Bible college, uh, as basically an infant in Christianity. I knew nothing about God. I knew very little. My relationship with God had grown almost n- not at all since I had come to know Christ when I was 14 or so. And so I step into college and I take this class called Biblical Hermeneutics. Really fancy word for Bible study. Uh, they just like to put fancy words on things. And my first semester, I ended up taking the class with the guy who wrote the textbook. which I was like, okay, this guy's a nerd. Like, he lo- he's geeking out on the Bible. And I found out, I love this too. This is really cool. Like, how amazing the Word of God is. It came alive to me. And I can tell you, I benefited by being taught by the person who wrote the book. If there was no benefit to that, then he would have just shown up, slapped the book down, and sat there and stared at us while we read it. 
But having him expound even further on the things that he wrote and continue to, to support the ideas he had, I mean, to me, that it's, it's a very watered-down way of what God does with his word. It says that the Holy Spirit's the illuminator of the word. He makes things come alive. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've read the Bible through countless times, I hope, uh, and yet still every time, every year I read through the Bible, something will pop out. It'll come to life in a new way that I've never seen before. The Holy Spirit will continue to illuminate His Word throughout all time. There's no doubt that this, the Holy Spirit speaks. There's some people who would claim, well, that's just weird. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't actually speak. It's not like an audible voice. Acts 8, 8, 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. That wasn't like a feeling that Peter had or Philip had. That was a specific voice to Philip, who said a very specific command. In Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. He spoke to them, and they heard his voice. And this happens often throughout Scripture, that God speaks to people and they hear his voice. And we are told, again, there's just so much support for this. I don't know why we as believers will try to shy away from the idea that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Uh, If you've ever had a teacher who never spoke to you, probably not your favorite teacher. Unless you're like a crazy introvert, then maybe that was your favorite teacher. But you probably didn't think that would be the best teacher if they just sat there and stared at you. And they didn't talk. They didn't speak to you. And so often the Holy Spirit's roles are spoken about in a teaching, instructing, guiding sort of way. And before anyone claims that this was a one or two time outlier, we're like, okay, I understand that the Holy Spirit maybe spoke to the apostles, but he's not doing that anymore. John 16, 13 to 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a speaking role the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And if you've heard the voice of God, you know it's not this like weird, mystical, like booming voice from heaven. What the way I've explained it to people when you hear God's voice is it sounds a whole lot like your voice. There's just something different to it. Like when Killian is doing something that he knows he shouldn't be. He knows my voice, but he knows when I'm serious. When I say Killian, he just knows there's a change there. And when you've heard the voice of God, you know there's a commanding presence to the voice of God. And you hear it in a different way but he is supposed to speak to us. Some of us have never heard his voice because we're not listening for it. There are many sheep who may never hear their shepherd's voice because they just aren't interested in hearing it. They've never practiced hearing his voice. And if you don't know, uh, your life is filled with hundreds, thousands of voices all the time telling you what you should do and how you should do this and the way you should think and the values you should have and that this, that, and the other thing. If you don't know how to hear God's voice, if you don't seek his voice out, you'll never hear it because there are just too many voices in your life. But to practice hearing his voice, if you want to be guided and taught by the Holy Spirit, it will take effort to practice hearing his voice. 
the reality is even Christians can be sorely mistaken by the Holy Spirit's interactive role with believers. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 14, it says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The world should think it's really weird that we hear God's voice. They should think it's strange because they don't know Him like we do. It's honestly, think about it from the world's perspective. I'm in love with Jesus. That's weird from the world's perspective. And yet we are. Hopefully you are. And then we hear His voice. He speaks to us. He guides us. He loves us. He comforts us. Man, this is the role of the Holy Spirit, the role He should have in our life. And through all of that, it also says that He is sent also to empower us. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice the word will. Notice it doesn't say, well, uh, you might or you'll have the possibility, or at least the option will be on the table to be my witness. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you're a believer, you will spread the gospel. No one will have to tell you you have to. No one will force you to it. No one will have to shame you or guilt you into it. You will want to take this message of freedom, knowing that Anyone who doesn't believe in this is destined for an eternity in hell. No one's going to have to force you to take that message to people who are desperately in need to hear it. Your heart will beat that way when you yourself have been rescued from yourself and from hell. You will want others to know about that. It doesn't mean it'll make it easy. It doesn't mean you'll be great at it, but you'll be empowered to do it. The Holy Spirit will empower you and you will be His witnesses. So what does this look like? in the life of the believer. Well, the Bible is clear. It, it tells us that we are all empowered in, in very specific and individual ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11, it kind of breaks down a little bit of what spiritual giftings and empowerings look like. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what spiritual gifts are. It's the Spirit coming alive in you. It's not your natural giftings. It's not like the Holy Spirit comes into your natural giftings and like puts the icing on the cake. That's not what this is. It's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the work working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be filled, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We say our vision statement often. We seek to be a family where everyone can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. 
I've told you before, uh, one of the things that came across my plate this, this last year that I thought this is ingenious and I'm using it forever is how I don't want to be a church anymore. I don't, I'm not saying that this church is, but I don't want the church anymore to be like uh, the opposite of what Home Depot was. Home Depot's slogan is, you can do it, we can help. And that's my goal, to be a church that says, you can do it, we can help. Not, we can do it, and you can help. Like, we're going to run the church, and we're going to come up with our own ministries, and we're, we're going to have this beast of a, of a thing, and you just plug holes as, as we see needs. We don't care about your giftings, just, you know, fill the holes where necessary. Honestly, I'd rather shut down ministries that we don't have giftings for, and it might hurt because, honestly, if we don't have enough people to run nursery or to run children's church, we're just going to let them run around up here. It doesn't bother me. If you didn't notice that, it does, really doesn't bother me when the kids are running around screaming and hollering. It doesn't bother me one bit. But if we don't have people gifted and passionate about that, then we shouldn't be doing it. I don't want to stand up here and say, well, we have these needs, and in order to run the machine of the church, then you guys, you know, I, don't, I don't care what your gift is, just you know, feel guilty enough to do it. I don't want to be that. I'd rather be a church that empowers, like the Holy Spirit empowers, to say, what are your giftings? You can do it. You can do the work that God has set for you. How can we help? How can we empower you to be activated in the mission that God has given you? That's what the church was meant to be. We are each empowered through the Holy Spirit to accomplish the specific work of God that He has for us. And that's kind of the positive side of the work of the Holy Spirit. Our statement of faith goes on to say the other things that the Holy Spirit is called to do or sent to do. It says, and convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that's taken directly from John chapter 16, verses 7 to 11. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We would all do well to remember that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I wish, uh, you, if you've been around long enough, you know I get frustrated. I didn't grow up in the church, so uh, I get frustrated with some of the things of the church. Uh, and one of the things that shocked me when I first came into the church, now granted, I came into the church in a small, independent Baptist church, um, and they just tended to be a little judgmental. And I came in, and that was, that was like my experience was like, man, these people are mean and judgmental. Uh, I did not like it. This is the Spirit's work. I would rewind that. If you look at our statement of faith, it says, and can, the Holy Spirit's job is to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Not judgmental church people. That's not our job. Our job isn't to look down our noses at people. Our job is not to look at the person who isn't dressed the way that we think they should be and give them dirty looks in church or to the mom who's maybe a teenager and just found out she's pregnant. It's not our job to look at them and shame them. That's not our role. It's not our role to look at the guy smoking a cigarette in the parking lot and look at that guy. That's not your job. Your job is to love them, to find a way Put your preferences, yourself aside, and to love people like Jesus did. And if Jesus can go to a well and love a prostitute 
whose life was shameful, whose entire culture was shameful to Jesus. Jesus shouldn't even be talking to a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan prostitute woman. And he doesn't judge her. He doesn't sit there in condemnation and and snub his nose at her and make comments and give dirty looks. He loves her. And she ends up, as far as we can tell, becoming a a believer and (laughs) runs into town and tells everybody she can about this awesome guy named Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if our interaction in people's lives, even when they are messy, would lead them to get excited about Jesus and tell other people about him? Instead of feel like, well, I'm never going to that church. I never want to step foot in there again. I did not like the way I felt there. I mean, one of the things that really blessed my life was uh, we had someone come here one time who had never stepped foot in a church ever, and she absolutely loved it here. That was awesome. I mean, to me, that was like, okay, God, you're doing stuff here. That she felt loved. She felt accepted. She, she just enjoyed her time here and among our, God's people that we love that person like that. That's awesome. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to engage in people's lives and to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And it's our job to walk alongside them and maybe help interpret. If you've ever walked with somebody who just came to know Christ and as they journey with Him, it's funny how if you don't try to be the Holy Spirit in their life, how all of a sudden they're like, hey, uh, I've just really been feel like, you know, I've been living with my girlfriend and I just don't think it's right anymore. Oh, really? Fancy that. And I promise you, when the Holy Spirit convicts somebody, it's far more powerful than your dirty looks or our condemning spirit. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in someone's life, that changes them. I talked to somebody who said, like, oh, I've never, never drank a, a drop of alcohol in my life because, you know, when I walked in, when I, after, after he had come to know Christ, so he had walked into the church, and I guess he smelled like booze or something, and this old lady led into him. And, you know, right after the service, that he would come to church smelling like alcohol. I'm like, man, I know you're saying that as like a positive thing, but I'm not hearing it that way. I think shame on that old lady for shaming you after a service. Thank God that person still stuck with Jesus and, you know, kept coming back. But, man, if you, if you reek like alcohol, this is the place for you. This is the place you should be. You get to hear about God a little bit, and we can love you and let you know. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what your life is like right now. We were all messed up when Jesus found us. I don't care how good you thought it looked. We were all messed up when Jesus found us. And it's the Holy Spirit's job. But if we walk with somebody, if we're discipling them, if we're loving them, it doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to sin. It doesn't mean that we accept things and just encourage sin or anything like that. It just means we let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. We let Him do that work. So that's what our statement of faith has to say about the Holy Spirit. There is some stuff later on where we'll touch on some of the Holy Spirit stuff, but the next part of our statement of faith gets into the Bible. And I want to cover that real quick before we close. It says in our statement of faith, the Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of His will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. This comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, which says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And also comes from 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. It says, And from 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, a lot in that little statement about the Word of God. Um, I don't know how many of you know the difference between inerrancy and infallibility. I know. Yeah, everybody already knows. Uh, we're going to cover it anyhow. Uh, there's, if you don't know, they're, inter, they're used interchangeably a lot, and some of us might not even know what it means when someone replaces inerrancy with infallibility. Some of us probably know that, well, infallibility is the bad one, and inerrancy is the good one, but we really don't know why. Um, so, saying the inerrancy deals with facts. To say that the Bible is inerrant is to say that the Bible is without error in every statement and in every fact. It's to say everything found in the Word of God is true. Every statement, every fact. Infallibility means that you cannot go astray by following the directions of the Bible. That if you were to follow the teachings of the Bible, that you, uh, nothing bad would happen if you did that. Those who believe in inerrancy also believe in infallibility. If you believe there's no error in the Word of God, then you obviously would, would think that if you followed anything it taught, that you would be good. That it would be good for you to follow everything it teaches. Uh, the reverse is not true. You can believe in, in, in the infallibility of Scripture but also believe that the Bible has errors. So that's the difference, is inerrancy always means infallibility, obviously. Uh, if you believe there's no fact or statement in the Bible that is, in, that is an error, then obviously it would be an infallible book that you could follow to the letter of the law, and it would do well for you. Uh, but if, there are many who believe in the infallibility of Scripture, but they still think there's some errors in the Bible. Uh, so you understand the difference. We as the Christian Missionary Alliance, we hold to the inerrancy of Scripture as originally written. We obviously know that uh, there are some things that people tried to add to the Bible uh, as time went on. We're very aware of those. It's one of the reasons I highly recommend if you're going to do Bible study, do it from like the uh, English Standard Version or the Holman Christian Standard Bible um, ESV or the HCSB. Um, one of the things I like about both of those is they make reference to all of the things that are like, yeah, this isn't, isn't actually supposed to be in here, even though it's traditionally in there. Uh, it's not supposed to be because at this point is when it got added in. Um, like there's some things that even in the Gospels that got added later, like the whole story of Jesus and when he meets the woman who was caught in adultery and he writes in the dirt, like that's not supposed to be in there. Uh, but we know where it was added. We know when it was added. It's left in there in, in most Bibles, and some don't even let you know that that's not supposed to be in there. Um, but that doesn't mean the Bible isn't inerrant. It means that as time went on, people tried to alter it, and they failed uh, because we know about it. We can go back, and we can see uh, the Scriptures as originally written. So that's why we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. There aren't any, you know, there aren't any false statements in there. There aren't any false facts. Um, some people would believe, well, I believe the Bible's true in a lot of statements, but all the miraculous stuff, like, that's not true. They just made that stuff up. Um, that's somebody who would probably believe in the infallibility of Scripture, just not the inerrancy. So, trying to water that down as quickly as possible so you understand the difference between the two. 
But uh, the statement of faith also makes reference to it being the complete revelation. And that's important because if you don't know, uh, there's other religions like uh, the Mormons who have an added book um, who they believe, I think it's the Mormons who believe an angel showed up uh, and gave uh, the guy the, this extra scripture and all of these things. It's like, yep, that's not going to happen. The Bible's very clear. This is the final word of God. This is the written, this is it. There weren't going to be any more scriptures after, after that. Uh, and so that, that obviously isn't true. Uh, or some of you even come from like a Catholic background. Um, when I was studying the Catholic faith when I was in high school, uh, I picked up, a, it was a Roman Catholic catechism, and I picked it up and I thought, well, this is really interesting because I'm, I'm a very, if you don't know me, I'm a very rational person. Uh, so things have to make rational sense for me to be okay with it. And I'm reading through their catechism, and one of the things that blew my mind uh, was that tradition supersedes uh, the Bible. So if it's the, just the way the church does it, that takes precedence over Scripture. And I thought, well, that's interesting because how could it become tradition if it was against Scripture in the first place? You shouldn't have been doing it. So that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but like that, they believe that the final practice for them is tradition or the Pope. If the Pope says it, it's all good. And that's just not the way it works. The Bible. We could always take things back to the Bible. If I ever say anything that you don't agree with or you think is weird, and you go back to the Scriptures, and if it says different, it is right, not me. Or anybody else that teaches uh, from the Bible or about the Bible, this, the Bible is the final authority. It is the complete revelation of God. So, as we'll do in every sermon in this series, we will always finish with, okay, so what? So what does this mean for us? A lot of information is going to be passed out in this series. But if it doesn't get applied to our life, it's useless. Might as well have went bowling. Information isn't going to do anybody any good. So a couple questions I have for us to process. What role does the Holy Spirit play in your life? One of the things, actually I taught a small group on forgotten God. And we would practice praying to the Holy Spirit. If you've never asked the Holy Spirit for anything, He's part of the Godhead. People are like, oh, that sounds kind of weird. I only pray to God, the Father, or, or Jesus. Okay, well, the Holy Spirit is God, and we can pray to Him. And Kind of like this morning, we sang songs, and one of my favorite songs, you know, invites the Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We speak to Him. We can pray to Him. But what role does the Holy Spirit play in your life? Many Christians, for many Christians, the Holy Spirit is just a theological concept. They understand the Holy Spirit. They understand about the Holy Spirit. They understand the role uh, the Holy Spirit can play, the possibilities, but that's, that's all it ever is. It's just a concept, a theological idea. Or does the Holy Spirit play a vital role in your walk? Do you know His voice? Are you filled with the Spirit? Have you ever sought to be filled with the Spirit? It's command in the Word of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Or are you okay with excusing certain parts because you believe it is flawed in some way? I know pastor in town, their denomination is going through a whole knockdown, drag-out fight over really whether the Bible's true or not. That's what it boils down to. 
Are we going to believe that what's in here is supposed to be in here, or do we believe, oh, well, that was just a cultural mistake? It's not possible if you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Allow the Holy Spirit to indwell, guide, teach, fill, and empower you for a full life as a believer. There's not much more that could be of more importance to your life than to, to build and develop that relationship with the Holy Spirit. You might be comfortable with a long-distance relationship for the rest of your life, but I know I'm not. I need the Holy Spirit. Our Holy Spirit dependency is just part of my life, and it should be a part of every believer's life. That he fills us and he empowers us in ways that go so far beyond what we're capable of. If we want to take this town back for Jesus, it's not going to happen by good thoughts and information. It will require the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit through his people to do things that are beyond our control. Too many believers just settle for the indwell. They're like, okay, I'm sealed, I'm good, I'm not going to hell. All right, now I'm just going to park it in a pew for the next 60 years, hear a couple of good sermons, maybe complain from here and there about the music, and I'm good. That's not the life we're meant to live. There is a daily walk, a daily filling, a daily empowering. Every day should be a journey. If you take one thing away from this sermon, I, I would encourage you, live expectantly. What would this week look like if you lived expectantly. If you woke up in the morning and said, all right, Holy Spirit, I, I still don't really understand all this stuff. Still a little weird for me. But I'm going to expect that you're going to move. Expectation without agenda. Expect him to move. Don't set the agenda. Don't tell him what he can and can't do. If he wants to mess your day up, let him. We're just going to expect you to move and trust that the Bible is inerrant and worth following totally. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can trust in your word, in the inerrancy of your word, knowing that it is without error. And Lord, I thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to engage us on this front. Lord, I believe in our church there are a lot of us, we have a lot of room to grow in this area, to learn to be filled on a daily basis, to learn to surrender our control to you. Lord, I pray that we would follow after you. Holy Spirit, would you come alive in our lives like never before? Would we encounter you in ways that blow our socks off, that, that go so far beyond our level of understanding that we are shocked <laughs> into a new level of belief? But I pray, Lord, you would break down the walls in some of our lives that are keeping us from being filled, keeping us from being empowered by you, Holy Spirit. Would you help make those walls evident and break them down, that you could break out in this place in ways we have never seen before and in ways that not just for a show, but in ways that advance your kingdom and win back ground from the enemy. I desperately want to take new boys back for you, Jesus. And I pray that you would empower us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.